This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Pride of London podcast, part of the fan-sided podcast network. Please welcome your hosts, Gabe Henderson and Travis Tyler. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Pride of London podcast. Today is December 26th. You guys will be listening on the 27th. Uh, Boxing Day, big day here for Chelsea. Um, We've got a lot to get into this episode. Just going to be my co-host Travis and I. Um, So before we get into Boxing Day and the big win over Aston Villa, one thing I wanted to talk about was the match against Brentford in the EFL Cup quarterfinal. Um, I know last week we talked about one of these two matches potentially being postponed. We both missed the mark there. And um, actually two really good results for Chelsea. So just some initial thoughts on the Brentford match, Travis. Yeah, I mean, we did have two good results this week. We had two awful performances that got us as results. But, uh, you know, there's there's a a few positives to look at. So just starting with Brentford, you know, I was really excited for, even though we didn't really get to choose it, that these we had some youth players that were able to feature. And they should have featured before, given how they ended up playing. You know, I I don't understand how we can look at what Harvey Vale was able to do and then come away with, you know, Christian Pulisic up top again or, you know, Ross Barkley on the bench over him. Like, it, it's just ridiculous how some of these decisions are coming about. But the kids did good. I don't think they should have been subbed off. I understand a lot of them had illnesses during the week. Maybe they're not as fit as other players. But when you have guys out there like Ross Barkley that are just completely wasting everything they get, like, I I don't see the point of it. Um, One good thing is Saul did really well again. So, you know, maybe he is finally turning a corner. He didn't get to play against uh, Austin Villa, but maybe he's finally turning whatever corner he needs to turn to at least, you know, be a useful player for the rest of the season. I don't think we're going to sign him regardless, but, you know, just to have him and be able to count on him is good. Uh, Kevin Arizabalaga did fantastic, which is good stuff for us, knowing that Mindy's going to be gone for the next month. You know, we wouldn't have won this game without Kevin at all. You know, it ended up being 2-0. We can talk about how those goals came about because it wasn't through chance creation. But at the end of the day, for me, Kevin making, what was it, two or three saves, that's what kept us in the game. That's what got us into the next round. And, you know, it, it was difficult circumstances. We got it done. It definitely wasn't pretty. And now we have two more games against Tottenham in January to look forward to. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, I think you hit all the major points there. Uh, like you said, Kepa was really good. And it's been confirmed that uh, we have Edward Mendy for a few more days before he goes off to AFCON. So um, I think every Chelsea fan after the start Kepa has had to this season, I think we all feel better about where we're going to be at once Mendy leaves temporarily. Um, and just a little note on that, uh, Hakim Ziyech, as we all suspected, is not going to play for Morocco. Um, just a few other little notes I had from the Brentford match. Um, I thought Chalaba and Kovacic were both really good in that match. Um, we had to bring on some of our regulars. So James and Conte came on. They played really well. Um, I also had a note in here saying that Saul played really well, and that's now two straight performances for him where he's played 
quite well. So um, I think he's really settling into that Jorginho role in midfield and he's getting onto the ball more and he's becoming more confident. So he's going to be big um, in these next few weeks, as you and I will talk about in a little bit. But I think of the three youngsters, Vale was really, really good. Um, certainly better than Ross Barkley in the Brentford match. So those were kind of my talking points. And I think overall, it was a really important win for us, given the fact that we, A, kept a clean sheet, B, advanced to the semifinals, and C, fielded what is largely a reserve starting eleven against a very strong Brentford side. I get it. They were without Ivan Tony. They were without David Raya. So, you know, it's um, it's easy to look at Brentford and not know a lot of the names, but as someone who watches Brentford quite a lot, that was a strong 11 from Brentford, and they really went for the match. So I get it. We won off an own goal and a penalty, but it was still a really important win for us. And even though it clutters up our January even more, as you mentioned, with two more matches against Spurs, it feels really good to advance into the semifinals of a competition, given the fact that we've had all these struggles recently. And I think this really helped get us back on track. Yeah. I mean, the Austin Villa performance wasn't much better, but it definitely had a period in it where it looked like we were our old selves again. So maybe you know, we're coming out of December finally. Maybe we're finally getting over this hump that we've, this rut that we've been in. Uh, you know, injuries aren't getting any better. Uh, but if we can at least get the players that are around in form, if we can at least start putting together performances that are, you know, more than passable, that's definitely a good sign going forward, given how our January looks and beyond. Yeah. So, um, just before we do get into the discussion about January and that cluttered fixture list, let's talk a little bit more about Aston Villa. And we'll, we'll talk a little more extensively on this one, given there were a lot of talking points in this match. We started the match okay. Um, we grew into it a little, and then we had that, uh, we went behind due to that freak own goal that went off. James said, You know, I, I saw a lot of people blaming James and blaming Mendy. So I personally, I don't think there's any blame to go around. I think it was just one of those things, but I can't say before you share your thoughts on it, I can't say that Aston Villa didn't deserve to go ahead early on. Yeah. I mean, they were hammering that side of us just over and over on the counter. And it's the same stuff we've been talking about. You know, our center back gets pushed too far up. There's this huge gap of space behind for counters. And, you know, Shalaba and James, they did okay dealing with those counters. But the fact that they kept hitting them and we, like, we had to keep backtracking to deal with these counters, you know, that's something that hurts you too as a team with how you control a game. If you have to keep backpedaling to stop a counter, you know, eventually you're not going to have the energy to get back there in time or something happens. And Austin Villa had something happen. They, there's no one in the box, no one in the box at all hit it at James, heads into the goal. I mean, it happens, but they got that because they kept hitting that same area over and over, and it's the same weakness that we keep having. But I don't blame James for it. I don't blame Mindy for it. You know, it's one of those things that we were kind of asking for with, you know, just how we were approaching the game. 
So, yeah, I mean, the whole first half, I didn't, I wasn't very impressed at all with us in the first half. You know, I don't know why we looked at how Polisic was doing as a striker and decided to do that again. Um, yeah, e- even the midfield was completely like Giorgino and Conte. I can't think of them doing well at all in the first half. It was really just the defenders and Mindy that were holding us in the game. Yeah, so we did eventually um, level the score through a Hudson-Odoi penalty that Jorginho converted. Uh, I thought it was really nice to finally capitalize on all that space that Marcus Alonso was getting on the left. You know, we've talked about whether he's the right guy going forward over Chilwell, and we won't get too much into that, but that was the one contribution of his that stood out to me today. And so we went into halftime level and it looked like it was going to be one of those frustrating days. And then out of halftime, we saw a very interesting change from Thomas Tuchel and, you know, our initial reaction, because for everyone who doesn't know, Travis and I talk obviously throughout the match and our initial thought was, wow, we're going to a back four. And it was when Romelu Lukaku came on for Trevor Chalaba and uh, Christian Pulisic got pushed down to right wing back. So as it stands, that didn't happen. And we stuck with the three, four, three. So what were your thoughts on just those three changes that Tuchel made? Yeah. Well, just to go through our thought process a little more, you know, it from the kickoff, it looked like we were ready to do a four, two, three, one. And yeah, I, I believe I mentioned like, no, nah, we're, what if we just, move James to center back and then Hudson Odoi to right wing back. I was pretty close. Pulisic ended up doing it, but you know, the change got a lot of players where they were able to be more effective, you know, getting a striker on at all is good because, you know, it, we're, we keep trying to get players that aren't strikers to do things that strikers are normally going to do. And it's not, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So it was good to have someone like Lukaku who actually does that role on. Um, That got Pulisic out of that area and into a wide area. Now we can debate which side of the field he's best on, but as long as he's wide and able to get involved deeper in the play, he's totally fine. He was able to make runs again. He was able to get uh, receive the ball from his teammates. It, It was just like a completely different player from switching him from striker to wing back. And you know, it was not a good game by Reese James at all. Um, but moving him to center back, that minimized whatever issues he was going through in the first half. You know, he didn't have to bomb forward anymore. He could just stay put. And he actually stayed put, which, you know, um, no no offense to Chalaba, who was doing to- totally fine, wasn't staying put. He was going forward just like Rudiger was on the other side. So at least someone was back there with Silva to help you know, kind of give us that base that we used last season so successfully that we haven't been using this past month very much. Um, yeah, and all those little changes, you know, that brought Jorginho and Conte back into the game. Um, you know, Alonzo was able to work a little better on the other flank with Hudson Odoi more directly in front of him. So it was definitely one change that caused a bunch of changes that actually worked. Like, you know, I, I get mad at a lot of Tuchel's substitutions, but if nothing else, like he is trying to change the game with these subs. Like he's trying to bring on a player of like a higher quality or he's trying to completely change the setup. And he, he does that pretty well, even if a lot of the times they 
they're, they're frustrating substitutions on paper. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the obviously the most frustrating sub that he's made recently was moving Sowell in the Everton match to striker, which was just baffling for everyone to see. But I thought, like you mentioned, uh, Reese James was having a poor game and he got moved to center back and he I thought he was quite good at center back in the second half. Uh, Pulisic really struggled once again to the surprise of nobody as a striker and then he moved to right wing back and he improved and I thought that was really notable too because we might have finally seen the end of the Callum Hudson Adoy as a wing back experiment and I thought that was really important because I've said for months that I think when we field our starting 11 our best starting 11 with Romelu Lukaku as the striker I think he benefits most from Callum Hudson-Odoi playing as a left winger. So I thought that was really important. He was my man of the match today. Uh, He was obviously won the penalty for the first goal. Uh, For the second goal, he provided the assist to Lukaku. And then on the third goal, he played the ball downfield and gave it to Lukaku, who ended up earning the penalty for Chelsea and put the game to bed. So he was one of my best performers from the day. I thought it was really important, like you said, to finally have a striker in there. And I think today was perhaps, other than the Arsenal match, the best game that we've played with Lukaku up top. And I think that's large in part due to some of the players around him. Obviously, we're not going to get that best 11, and I know everyone has their own best 11 in their mind. We're not going to get that right now with Chilwell out. But I think what Tuchel did today was put players around Romelu Lukaku for him to succeed. So we saw Callum Hudson-Odoi on the left wing. We saw Mount on the right wing. We saw Mateo Kovacic eventually substituted on in midfield. So I think when you get those guys around him, and even Reese James, even though he wasn't that involved uh, up top today due to the fact that he moved back to center back when Lukaku came on. I think if you put those guys around him, it completely changes the way Chelsea plays for the better. And I think the Chelsea that we saw for some periods in the second half, not all of them, but some of them really showed us that there still is a team in there that can win the title. And just another thing on Lukaku is he said himself after the game, like, this is how he wants to play, being able to run at goal and not, you know, just sit there and receive the ball. And, of course, you know, people have already spun that to, oh, well, he's always just been a counterattacking striker, which I don't really know where all that comes from. But, yeah, I mean, Lukaku is just immense when he came on. And I, I, I would also give man of the match the Hudson Odoi. You know, people are really upset about the shot that he didn't put in while ignoring the three that he helped get in. So, yeah, for me, that's that's a little ridiculous. But, uh, I mean, other than the fact that we really only played well for like a half hour, but it was obviously we were able to weather the storm and just get through by the end of the game. You know, the really only other negative is, you know, we're back into this whole injury crisis thing that, you know, two of our subs were from injuries. One was Conte, who, you know, Tuchel himself says, like, hey, I'm overplaying this guy. Well, I mean, this is what happens when you overplay a player. He, re- he re-injures himself. Um, and, it, man, if Thiago Silva's injured for any length of time, 
you know, he's been holding us together. I sent out a tweet during the game, like, if we didn't have Silva in the forming then, Tuchel probably would have been out of the job this Christmas again. Like, he's been that important for us, just holding on this last month. And, you know, I think Christensen's a fine player if we're actually opt to use him and get over ourselves with this contract thing. But, you know, Silva has been something else. Yeah, and I think that's an important point moving into the January window because we've preached the fact that Chelsea needs to buy a center back. And I, I think at this point, um, it's the worst kept secret in football that Rudiger's gone. So I think if Silva's injury, we'll see him miss an extended period of time. I think Tuchel confirmed after the match that he's going to miss Brighton, uh, which we can live without him for that. But I think if he's out for January, especially, we need to just go in there and pay a release clause for one of the defenders in Spain, like Jules Koundé or someone of that nature. So um, we're not going to get too much into that, given the fact that we got into the January transfers last week with a fan question. So the one thing um, that I thought, especially is, you know, I went back to that, the classic meme of Wario and it's like, I've won it, but at what cost? So that, that was my big takeaway from the game today. So the injuries are really starting to pile up. Luckily, I think we'll get Timo Werner and Kai Havertz back relatively soon. We're still up in the air with Ben Chilwell and his status. Still don't know whether or not he needs surgery. That'll dictate what we do in January. But we've got a really, really tough January ahead. And I think obviously everyone talked about how important today's match was to the title race because we stay within um, reach of Man City, who's only six points ahead of us now. Um, We've got Brighton coming up on Wednesday. But then just to rattle off the January fixtures real quick, Sunday the 2nd against Liverpool in the Premier League. Then three days later, we have the first leg of the semifinal against Tottenham in the EFL Cup. We get the one break that we have three days after that against Chesterfield. I expect guys like Harvey Vale and Jude Sunza Bell to start again. That, that'll be really important for our first teamers to get a break against that. And honestly, given how important the rest of the fixtures are this month, I wouldn't be against just throwing an entire group of kids out there against Chesterfield, but that's a topic for another day. Um, Four days after that, the second leg at Spurs, three days following that, we take on Man City in Manchester, and then we get a little bit of a break, so we have eight days after that. Then we take on Spurs in the Premier League, so we've got three games against Spurs, one against Man City, and one against Liverpool for those keeping count. Obviously, this matters to the title race, given that we play Man City and Liverpool for the second time this season, and those are the only two teams ahead of us. But what are your other thoughts on January and this tough stretch ahead? Yeah, I mean, absolutely for Chesterfield. Like, if there's anyone you even consider part of the best XI, like, you keep them away. You don't even name them to the bench. Just you know, if we have to do all kids, we can do all kids. I mean, it's a National League team. Like, it, we, there is no reason our kids shouldn't be able to at least cope with them, given they play National League teams in, you know, different cups. Like, this is their, this is absolutely a challenge they can take. Um, 
yeah, Liverpool and City. We need really realistically, we need to win every Premier League game in the month. But you know, with Liverpool and City being ahead of us, those are six pointers. If, if we do not beat City, we're not winning the title. That's that's just it. You know, we we need to beat Liverpool for the same reason. You know, it, it's just that tight. We cannot afford to lose any of these games to them. Uh, I mean, it's a weird month when, you know, Chesterfield aside, Spurs is the easiest team you get to play. And, you know, the Spurs we played earlier in the season, you know, not quite the same Spurs. Um, Antonio Conte's got them firing. Like, they're much better than they used to be. And, you know, I don't know if Tuchel and Conte have ever managed against each other. I want to say they haven't. But, I mean, I can only imagine how that battle will go down tactically. Like that, that'll be just really tight and really intense. Um, yeah, I mean, it's and we're gonna have to do it all without Mendy because he'll be gone at Afcon. Um, we'll have to do it without all these injured players, these players coming back from COVID. You know, it is not gonna be easy at all. And you know, the slim advantage we might have got with like Mohamed Salah. And uh, Sané being or Mane being gone at uh, the uh, Afcon, that's gone because they push back the date players have to go. So you know, Liverpool is going to be full up against us, whereas before they would have been without their the attackers. Basically, Klopp can't figure out how to make an attack work without them. So it this is the month where we figure out what we are as a team this season. You know, we there's four months after it, but this is the one where we're going to look back and say, you know, this is where we made it or didn't. Yeah. You know, that's an important point. Um, the fact that January has always been our toughest month isn't helped by us getting Spurs twice in the Carabao cup. So like you said, I think it's going to be a really interesting technical battle, but and tactical battle um, as well between Tuchel uh, and Klopp. Tuchel and Guardiola and Tuchel and Conte three times. So on that note of tactics, you know, I know we've talked about, and this was a huge talking point for us last week, the three, five, two, and we think that's Chelsea's way forward. However, you know, it does have its downsides. So I know we both agreed that Hudson or was the man of the match today. He would be a really awkward fit in the three, five, two, but on the flip side, the three-five-two allows for a three-man midfield. So uh, I guess, what are your thoughts on the three-five-two versus the three-four-three uh, and the respective respective positive and negatives to each formation? Yeah. So at the beginning of today's game, at least you know very early on, we were kind of defending as a three-five-two with Hudson Odoi coming into the midfield. So I don't. It, it would be weird to me if that was if we went to that formation and if that's how Hudson Odoi would be used. I would assume he'd be one of the split strikers. But th- the main thing about three five two is you're you're gonna have to play more vertically, just because of how your players are set up. You have everyone very centralized, which is gonna give us our wingbacks a ton of space. But if our wingbacks don't have anyone to put the ball to, maybe it doesn't matter as much. Um, three four three for me is you're able to control the game better, but if you're not quick, you're going to run out of your chances really, really fast. Uh, I mean, I keep running into this issue where these wide center backs won't stay back, and that's why I think we should go to four four of the back. But 
I mean, you're just going to run into issues no matter what we do, you know. I, I think part of the problem is we don't really know who our best 11 is. I don't think we'll probably get anywhere close to figuring out who our best 11 is, given how injuries are going right now. So, you know, it's just all about getting who's on form and what you value on the field. But at the same time, you know, at, at PSG, Tuchel was changing formation like almost every game to adapt to the opponent. And we just don't see that. It's just 3-4-3 three, three every game. And we're starting to see flashes of 3-5-2 again. But, you know, over there, it was, you know, 4-4-2, four, 4-diamond-2, four, two, four, 4 magic rectangle, you know, 3-4-3, three, 3-5-2. Three, three, like, he did everything he could think of. And it was all based around Marquinhos being able to play in, in the midfield and in the back. And the only player he's really tried that with so far with us is Chalaba. So, in, in the weirdest way, maybe... Chalaba is going to be the guy that we revolve this all around if he keeps developing the way he is, or, you know, maybe Reese James coming from wing back in the midfielder, you know, we have options. It just seems like we were afraid to change from what won us the champions league. And that's understandable, but you know, even today I'm, I'm very certain that three, four, three has been found out by pretty much every team in the league. They know it. Like if we play against city or Liverpool, like we did today, we're not winning three, one, because of two penalties and an own goal or whatever, you know, we're getting smacked. Like that's just this is what it is. And we need to adapt before it's too late. Yeah. You know, to that point, um, the one thing I will say, interestingly enough, our defense has been a lot better in the last few games. And I noted it against Everton because the one goal we conceded was that fluke free kick then against wolves i know we didn't have any attacking prowess in that game but we still kept a clean sheet and then i noted in an article um and we also kept the clean sheet against brentford obviously i noted in an article recently that today's game against aston villa was going to be hugely important to see if we were just playing bad attacking teams or if our defense has actually been fixed and i I kind of leave this game not having an answer because the one goal we conceded was the fluke own goal. But at the same time, Villa had a lot of chances and a lot of space going forward. So I don't think we're as bad as we were two weeks ago, but I don't think we're as good as we were to start the year. So those problems are still there. So that's a huge um, point that, Tuchel is going to have to figure out and that once again goes back to the back three versus back four how many midfielders you play with so you know there's going to be positives and negatives but the one thing I will say about the 3-4-3 is we've been shaky all season but I don't think we've played with our best 11 at all this year and that's me personally I think obviously as I said earlier Hudson Odoi and Mount are in the best 11 but you know, you look at the start of the season and Ben Chilwell was still recovering from the Euros and getting back to match fitness. So he wasn't playing. And then when he came back, he was hugely important when Lukaku and Werner were out. And then Kovacic was out for a long time. Then we missed Conte. So, and also going back to the beginning of the year, Mountain wasn't great. And I know he wasn't great today, but he's been in really good form lately. So I think it's also important to look at the personnel and you know, we've just had a lot of injuries this year, but just 
going into a deeper dive in the midfield, Kovacic was really good today, I feel like, and he brings something different to this team. I think he plays really well with Lukaku. So let's just assume that Conte is not out for a while again, and it's a minor injury. So if we have a fully fit midfield, what do you think the best way forward is for those guys? Because obviously it seems like we can't play without Jorginho. We can't play without Conte. And at times we can't play without Kovacic either. They're all three world-class midfielders. And yeah, I've, I've used that word. And I really do think Mateo Kovacic is world-class, but at the same time, there's only two spots. So it's obvious to say that, Oh, we can go to a three, five, two, but then you miss out on someone like Mount. So what do you think the best way forward for this midfield is? Do you think it's a case by case thing? Like you mentioned earlier on form or what do you think? Yeah, I think it will have to be case by case because they all offer, you know, different things. Georgino is definitely the best one for, you know, maintaining that possession at the bottom or at the base of our formation, moving the ball along. Um, Ngolo Conte can, you know, one day he can just, tackle everything and wipe everyone out. And then the next day he is, you know, the best midfielder running into the box that you could ever imagine. And, you know, sometimes you don't really know which Conte you're going to get. And then Kovacic, he's able to do what Georgino does in controlling possession, but he's also able to drive it forward with dribble. And so part of it's going to be who you're facing. Uh, Part of it's probably who's ahead of them. You know, I, if I had, uh, you know, if I had like Lukaku up top, yeah, I would play Kovacic because you want Lukaku pinning the defenders more, and then Kovacic can just spin his way up through the midfield and get the ball to Lukaku if needed. Um, you know, games where we're going to have maybe more space in behind, you would probably want Conte. Uh, not just because he's able to make these runs all of a sudden, but also because of how he's going to able to stop counters against teams like City or Liverpool, which I guess that kind of leaves me with Jorginho being the one in every match, no matter what. Um, you know, even if we went to a three-man midfield, like you said, someone's going to have a drop, and I don't really want to drop out if it comes to it. You know, four, two, three, one. you know, someone's going to have to drop out. Like, there's, there's no formation we can have where we can have all of those guys and Mount, unless it's like a diamond, a four diamond two, but then you have no wingers. You just have your fullbacks trying to hold everything together. So there's no easy answer there. Um, Unfortunately, you know, the more Conte gets injured and I really don't think it's his fault today, the more he gets injured and the closer we get to the summer where he has one year left on his contract, the more we kind of have to start thinking about what comes next. So, you know, if, I, I don't have off the top of my head how many games he's played this season, but it's not anywhere close to what he used to be able to play. And, you know, when he's fit, he's fantastic. But, you know, how long can we bank on him being fit for a third of the season before we need to start looking elsewhere? You know, with that contract running out, the summer's kind of the point where we need to make a decision. And, you know, given some of the targets we've been talked about, talking about linked to and guys coming back from loan. Like the, the more these injuries happen, the more this decision might be made for him and for us when we're talking about the pivot. 
Yeah, and that's what makes it so hard is the fact, uh, by the way, Conte has played 15 matches this season. That's what makes it so hard with N'Golo Conte. You know, we saw against Atletico Madrid in the first leg last year, we saw this Jorginho and Kovacic pivot work really well. And I think now that we have a striker like Lukaku, it brings out the best in Kovacic. And then obviously we've seen how we play without Jorginho. So I think right now in our best 11, those two might be the duo to go with. I'm really hesitant to say that because I don't want to have a best 11 that doesn't include Conte. But the because the fact of the matter is, like you said, he's injured quite a bit, which isn't always his fault. I mean, ever since um, Maurizio Sarri was here, he's been rushed back from injury almost every single time. But when he plays, he's just fantastic. And there's no word to describe that. The effort that he puts in, in the strides that he's made in his game as well, like you noted earlier, he's an incredible box-to-box midfielder now. And we didn't used to see that. So you just get so much from Conte that it makes it difficult to really nail down two starters. And I think it is a fluid situation. But, you know, personally, I think Mateo Kovacic can be our most important midfielder if he stays fit for the rest of the season, given the fact that Lukaku needs to be our talisman up front. So that's just where I'm at with that. Um, And my phone actually just reminded me that we do have more to talk about. The Brighton-Brentford match just went final. They earned a 2-0 win similar to ours midweek, except their goals were really well worked and actually came from good attacking play. Unlike ours. Um, what are the things you're looking for in the Brighton match? I know it's easy to overlook given the matches that we have following that, but it's still an important one. You know, I feel like as long as there's a point gap between us, Liverpool and man city, every match is going to be important. So just give me some general thoughts on Brighton. Yeah, I mean, we definitely need to win pretty much any match coming up just to keep pace. But Brighton's one of those weird teams where, you know, based on the whole expected stats, they're supposed to be fantastic. But they're just not able to consistently translate that stuff on the field. I think last season, based on expected stats, they were supposed to be something like third or fourth. And I don't even remember where they finished. It was pretty low in the table. But... Right now they're in ninth. Uh, yeah, not really scoring a lot. They're defending okay. They concede about a goal a game. But, they're, I mean, it's a tricky one because they just got back from a COVID break, right? So, you know, how fit really are they going to be? I didn't watch this. I didn't watch any of the Brentford match. Like, I know you watched a little bit of it. So, I don't know how they look, like if they look really fresh or – you know, what, how they are, but, you know, Potter is arguably England's star manager right now. Uh, he, he's definitely got Brighton playing above their level, even if it's not quite where they should be yet. Um, it feels like every time we play them, we have some kind of issue, like it's a little tricky. Um, yeah. And it's going to be another three at the back against us and, Usually those things kind of cancel each other out. You know, even if Lukaku gets to start, finally, it's going to be him against three center backs. So how how effective is he going to be able to be against a team like that? 
So, I mean, more than anything, it's just the timing of it because you know we have half an eye on Liverpool at this point. We know how important that's going to be, and we can't take Brighton lightly, but we don't really have a choice. Like, we, we either have to take them lightly or play our best guys against against them and then hope they can hold up against Liverpool. And as it stands, no one's really holding up against anybody. Yeah, you know, I mentioned uh, on our Pride of London Twitter account earlier, I said I'd rather see Jude Sunzabel and Christian Pulisic at striker. And I, I'm kind of feeling that way against Brighton too. You know, I don't think Lukaku is ready to start yet. I would give him a few more days, maybe bring him on if at halftime again if necessary against Brighton. But I would look at Jude Sunzabel and I would, if, if I were Tuchel, this probably won't happen. I'd be amazed if it did. I would give him the start against Brighton just to show some respect to Brighton because I don't think Christian Pulisic needs to have another abysmal half at striker for us to write off that project. So, I, And I also don't think that they're important enough to start Lukaku against given what we have after that. So like you said, Brighton always seems to be a thorn on our side. You know, I, I go back to that. I think it was a New Year's Day match um, a few years ago when, forgive me, I don't remember his name, the Iranian midfielder that they had scored that incredible overhead kick. And I think we drew that match 1-1. That was maybe 2018, 2019, it feels like. that. That's always the match that sticks in my mind when I think of Brighton. They're always up for a game against us, and I don't think it'll be any different this time around. So we just can't afford to drop points, but at the same time, we have to have an eye on Liverpool, as you mentioned. So it's just going to be really interesting to see. I'm intrigued to see over the next day or so who comes back from COVID isolation, who is out and who's not. I think, as I mentioned earlier, Silva and Conte have already been ruled out. That means we'll probably see a back three of some variation of Christensen, Chalaba, and Rudiger, or maybe as Piliqueta comes in. So it'll be interesting to see how we handle that match and how we even approach it, given the fact that we do have such an important month ahead of us. You know, it's unlikely, but I am almost thinking in the back of my mind, man, I wish this game would have been postponed due to COVID. But given the fact that Brighton hasn't played in a while and we've already gotten our over our COVID outbreak, that's not going to happen. So those are just some thoughts on the Brentford match. Obviously, you know, the more important one is the Liverpool game. So we played a really intriguing match with Liverpool to start the year, finished 1-1. There was some controversy with the penalty and Reese James's red card. So, and it, it was honestly, I think it was one of our best performances of the year to date. Um, the effort shown by that 10-man team in the second half was really impressive. So, what are, what are you looking forward to against Liverpool? What are your key talking points? Let's just get some initial thoughts and some previews out of the way there. Yeah, uh, more than anything, hopefully because we're playing a really good team that we bring our performances up with it. I mean, we started the season with that crazy run of games that we just absolutely rocked. And then it's been these smaller teams that have been giving us so much trouble, not smaller, but, you know, teams that we shouldn't have struggled against as much as we have. So 
you know, maybe when we finally get to play Liverpool again, that'll wake us up. Um, you know, Klopp and Tuchel know each other really well, uh, as you would, you know, following similar managers throughout your career. And, you know, Tuchel replaced Klopp at Dortmund. So, you know, they're familiar with one another. And these matches tend to come down to, you know, pressing and execution. And that's where we've been kind of faltering as of late is, you know, if Mohamed Salah is able to get in behind our defense, I don't think he's going to need an own goal to score like, you know, we saw today. Uh, on the other side, I kind of feel like our attack is going to do better against Liverpool's defense. No no offense to how Liverpool defends, but they don't get as many reps at it as Austin Villa or Wolves do. So maybe that'll help us a little bit, you know, being able to find – you know, the gaps that they aren't really used to protecting. Uh, I mean, the main thing about Liverpool is they are one of the most grindy teams I've ever seen. Like, no matter who they play, no matter how poorly they do, they're able to get a win. And, you know, maybe we're kind of developing into one of those teams, and I haven't just accepted it yet, but, you know, I know Liverpool can grind out a result. So it's going to take something special to keep them at bay. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can find them. You know, it's Liverpool. This should be a game we should be up for. Yeah, you know, on the flip side of that, and the one thing I didn't mention earlier with January is I almost feel like Chelsea's at their best when we're put in a position with our backs against the wall. So I think that's, and it's a it's a weird thing with us. It's almost like the December thing is, you know, we almost always put ourselves in these really tough positions just to, you know, kind of show everyone, Hey, we're still here. Like we're um, this tough team with an identity. And so it's one of those weird things. And I feel like the Liverpool match will be one of those. I could be wrong. You know, I, I enter every match against the big six and more specifically really just um man city and liverpool just saying you know we will either grind out a result and put in a dominant performance and all of that or we will get hammered like we've seen at city so many times so it's it's just a really interesting match, and I'm really intrigued to see how this plays out. Um, I really hope that we utilize Lukaku as he should. I'm really excited to see the Lukaku against Van Dyke battle again. So th- those are just some things that I'm excited to see. I I would really also like to see Hudson Odoi named in the starting eleven, and yeah, like you said, it'll be really interesting. Um, the midfield, but just battles everywhere. The one-on-ones, the in, just the individual battles, especially against Liverpool, because I feel like right now the way Man City is playing, they're head and shoulders above everyone. You know, as we saw today, they put six past Leicester on Boxing Day, and they had that like fifteen-minute spell where they conceded three times, but other than that, they were flawless. They won seven-nil against Leeds, and they've just been hammering teams. So I, then I feel like there's Chelsea and Liverpool there in second and third who are grinding out results. So I feel like, and you know, um, given Liverpool's COVID postponements, this could see us level on points going in. 
So I think it's really important, not only to the title race, but I think at this point you have to start talking about the top four race as well. Yeah. I mean, it is definitely always time to be looking over your shoulder. I mean, I earlier in the season when Arsenal was struggling, I wouldn't have thought they would have ended up in fourth. Yeah. They're fourth right now. Um, you know, Conte at Spurs is they're coming back into it. Uh, luckily West Ham's fallen off. So that's one less team to consider, but yeah, I really don't want it to get to another end of the season where, you know, it's match day 36 or 37. And we're like, we're going to get top four this year. Like we, we should be well past that point. We should be the club that, you know, we know we're getting top four this season. And right now we're pretty safe of it, but we can't keep in this current malaise and we need to have higher ambition. And that's going to start with beating Liverpool, you know, it's almost to the point where whoever wins between us and Liverpool is going to be the team that's going to fight city the rest of the way. So, yeah, I mean, we, we need to do it. We, we don't have the goal difference on them. So we need the win. Yeah, for sure. So, um, that that's, it's just such an important game. And I don't think you can overstate that given where the two teams are, but yeah, you know, um, I think, Arsenal is definitely playing really well lately. I think Spurs are as well. So that's why, you know, I know we don't want to talk about a top four race, given the fact that we entered the season with such high expectations, but that's kind of where we're at. And, you know, I I think the three teams that are uh, one, two, and three right now will finish one, two, and three. But at the same time, there's no room for error, given how those teams behind us are playing and how there's going to be these COVID delays. So they'll have games in hand, but you know, it's interesting to see where we're at right now compared to Liverpool last season, because right now I feel like we are Liverpool of last season, given the fact that we have so many injuries and we have so many unlucky decisions with COVID and with the premier league deciding to keep our games on and stuff like that. So It'll be an interesting test to see where we're at right now compared to Liverpool last year and the fact that they're now a year on from that. So um, it's almost as if it's two teams battling for the right, like you said, to challenge Man City for the title. But it's also like they're almost underachieving in a sense. So it's it's really big given how big or giving how well man city is playing lately. So maybe they stumble up between now and then very unlikely, but we could see it. So yeah, I mean, it kicks off what has always been and what will be now that we're there, the most important month of the season. So we're really going to see what Chelsea's made of going forward. So that's going to be it from us for today's episode. We will be back to talk to everyone after the Liverpool match. So, Travis, uh, do you have anything else to add? Nope, I'm all set. Awesome. So, um, hopefully, the next time that we talk and jump on the mic together, we will have two wins and a lot to talk about, hopefully. Um, like, Like we saw today, you know, I didn't think we'd be talking about Lukaku being back and all of that after today and Hudson Odoi putting in a mana match performance, but here we are. So like I said, that'll do it from us for this episode of the pride of London podcast. Thank you everybody for listening. 
Make sure to follow us on all social media. You can follow me personally at Gabe H Sports. You can follow the Pride of London at Pride O London on Twitter. And Travis, let everybody know where they can find you. Yep. You can find me at Traftical on Twitter. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks again, everybody, for listening.